It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Welcome, movie lovers, to another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Since the beginning of this podcast, I still remain to be Scott. That was awful. I'm starting over. <laughs> no, roll with it. <laughs> it was like a bad Rocky and Bullwinkle opening. Like, hello, history lovers. And joining me from Moose Creek Falls is Lauren. Say okay, hello. smoke, Bullwinkle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I cannot do Bowiggle or Rocky. <laughs> Here at Movies You Should Love, we like to look at movies, both classic and modern and everything in between. We like to look at them, we try to pick them apart, try to figure out what makes them work, what makes them great. And um, we have lots of at- flubbed lines and lots of embarrassment in general. It's just like film school, but without the tuition. Um, exactly like film school we have never promised anything less <laughs> no this is this is the real deal people <laughs> if you like what you hear which i'm sure you already are uh, shockingly somehow i'm sure you're just on the edge of your seat like I, this is gold uh, you can find us on facebook we have a website there facebook.com forward slash movies you should movies you should on twitter we are at movies you should we have a great little website called movies you should love.com also you can find us on itunes um it, depending on where you found us look at those other places we have all sorts of things we like to put there and uh try to basically expand the whole movies you should love experience today we're going to be looking at number 69 on afi's top 100 uh Tootsie, which came out in 1982. But before we get into that, Lauren, what have you been up to lately? What movies have you been watching? Oh, well, those are two very different questions, Scott. Um, <laughs> It'll pick one of them and answer it. <laughs> no, uh, movies. So um, I'm, I'm just going to jump right in here. Uh, movie that has blown me away. Everyone who has Netflix needs to watch this movie. Um, it's It's... It's it's amazing, really. I don't know how else to phrase it. It is called a talking cat! Exclamation point! Question mark! Exclamation point! <laughs> um, yeah, this is this movie is incredible. It uh, it combines uh, home footage of a cat walking through someone's house. Okay. <laughs> with um, <laughs> with I can the, hear people the, turning their iPods off even now. Yes, with <laughs> narration that is possibly worse than the audio quality of our podcast. Sounds riveting. As the narration from the cat, who happens to be a talking cat, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, um, with uh, some horrible acting and other... Uh, fascinating. So, is this uh, a movie? Is this a documentary? What is this? <laughs> is it a doc? No, no. It is a movie. It is. Um, it is obviously somebody's love child of a movie from somewhere, and it has now from made <laughs> it has now made its way to Netflix into the unsuspecting children and family section. Oh, good. Um, so I was I don't a, was this a Netflix entry on April Fool's Day? No, or is no, this, it, thing? this has been there like a month or so. It's been there. Someone on Facebook told me I had to take a look at this, <laughs> and and truly, it's it's horrible. Really, is is really <laughs> the, the best way that I can explain it. It's it's horrible in like that that way that you have to to watch. Up until the point where you just can't take it anymore, and then you turn it off and can't believe that somehow 
it made it onto Netflix. It's it's kind of one of those things that like it both gives me hope as a filmmaker, right? Because if that can be on Netflix, certainly, really like anything I do, a sandwich I can make, anything that I do can possibly make it onto Netflix. That said, it also really lowers the bar of filmmaking. <laughs> so did you actually watch the whole movie? I skimmed the whole movie. <laughs> um, it was on in the background of things. Yeah. Uh, the rough plot line of the movie is that there's these several people uh, in disparate walks of life uh, who all, for some reason, need to be brought together into a cohesive unit of, of family or friendship, as near as I can tell from skimming the movie. Um However, they are not going to accomplish this on their own. Enter the talking cat, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, (laughs) who can only talk once to each human and finds it very difficult to do so because of their uh, little button-y devices that they have, which happen to be their cell phones. He's a talking cat, but he doesn't know what to call a cell phone. It's very strange. Um, He can only talk to them once, and then he can never talk to them again. Like Silent Bob. Similar to Silent Bob. Um... (laughs) And yeah, it's 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 special. It if you, if, I mean, honestly, just sit down and watch the first five minutes of this movie. Between the stock nature footage at the beginning, <laughs> the uh, home camcorder footage of this cat supposedly out in nature, only at somebody's backyard, and then the riveting, highly technical credit sequence, it is well worth your time. <laughs> at least at least to spend five or six minutes with this wonderfulness if you have. Netflix. Yes, yes. A talking cat? Exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. Okay. Fabulous. Moving on. (laughs) Um, I I can't talk about either of these two movies that we saw. We saw two movies on opening weekend, and I really can't talk about either one without talking about the the other. And neither of them are as special as a talking cat? Exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. But they're both kind of special in their own way. They're, um, they, they too, are fantasy films involving talking creatures. Um, one is Jack the Giant Slayer, and the other is Oz the Great and Powerful. Um, like I said, we, we, we went and saw both of these on opening weekend. I think there was like two or three weeks in between the two of them. Um, but if I were to say just... If you had to pick between the two of these, I would highly encourage everybody to go see Jack the Giant Slayer. We really, really enjoyed it. It's a, it is just a pretty straightforward adaptation of the Jack of the Beanstalk story that you know, with a lot of fleshed out uh, details all around it. It's, it, you know, it's some of the downsides to the movie are that you know some of the characters might not stand out as well as you might want them to. It's not as funny as maybe like Oz the Great and Powerful is. It doesn't really try to be. It really is, in a lot of ways, it is a fairy tale. And so it's it's a big, rollicking adventure, really, more than anything. Um, I believe his name is Nicholas Holt, is the, the main character in it. He was the little boy in About a Boy. He was recently in Warm Bodies, as well as... Uh, x-men first class and he is great as jack and ewan mcgregor is in it and he's this really he plays this really kind of great adventurer like character who's just like he encourages everybody he's just this endless source of positivity and just he's there for the adventure and it's it's really cool it's really neat and i we all really really enjoyed it um 
However, it, I think, was definitely overshadowed by Oz the Great and Powerful, which is, in my opinion, the lesser of the two films. There's a lot in it that I really liked, and, and that's that's kind of the bummer to me about Oz the Great and Powerful. I think about 75% of it works completely. Like, this is a solid Oz film, and there's probably going to be more of these, because it really isn't so terrible that you wouldn't want to see a sequel. But there were some really kind of problematic things for in it for me. One of it is, unfortunately... See, I don't want to blame it on the casting, because I'm not... I, I can't... As I've thought about this film, I can't quite pinpoint if it's the cast, if it's the script, or if it's the director, or if it's a combination of the three of them. Because there's definitely elements from all three of those, I think, that contribute to some of the film's weaknesses. Sam Raimi is a director I really like. I like his, I like this, his Spider-Man movies. I liked um, Army of Darkness. I liked a lot of his movies that he has done over the years. But he definitely has a certain... Um, he brings a certain quality to his films. And sometimes it's... It, there's certain things that you can just spot when you see it. You know it's Sam Raimi. And sometimes it's great and it works perfectly. Like, I think his understanding of Peter Parker was perfect for the first two Spider-Man films. Um, there's a certain kind of goofiness and nerdiness to the whole thing that just works perfectly. Um, however, that kind of goofiness seems a little weird when applied to uh, James Franco's Oz. Um, it just doesn't quite work the way you want. And I don't know if it's James Franco. Like I heard rumors that like Robert Downey Jr. was supposed to play the part, but had to drop out for some reason. I kind of feel like Oz might have been, should have been a little bit older than James Franco. Um, but between, whether it's James Franco's performance or if it's the way he was directed, there's just something kind of cheesy about his portrayal of Oz, which I think is kind of too bad. But I'd be willing to overlook that if, and I'm going to venture to spoil the territory here. So if you don't want to, under, if you don't want to know what happens, because um, there are a couple little twists in the story. Um, fast forward like three minutes, but. Um, the witches of Oz, I feel like their story is way too complicated. <laughs> it's this really overly complicated story that really is a very simple story because he shows up in Oz and there are three witches and we know one is the Wicked Witch and they're all from, I think they're all three of them are sisters at the beginning of this, but they add like a, f is there a fourth witch in this as well? No, there's only the three, but you don't know which one's the wicked one because they all kind of point their finger to a different one. Specifically, two of them say Glinda is the wicked witch. And then it turns out, like, Mila Kunis actually turns out to be the, the green witch that we all know. But when we meet her, she's not green, but she's tricked by her other sister to eat this apple that turns her green. And so it turns out the real wicked witch at the beginning of the film is not the wicked witch that we end up fighting at the end of the film. And it's just like, stop it <laughs> just calm down and just i feel like he should have shown up and because kelly and i called it at the beginning go, oh it's going to be mila kunis because that's just the way the story unfolds at the beginning um but it turns out it's rachel weiss at first but then it is mila kunis and it's just like it seems like they could have if they had just somehow streamlined or i don't know something needed to happen with the witch's story and if the witches had been a little bit stronger i feel like i could have forgiven everything else because honestly there's some really great stuff in here there's this there's a place called chinatown in oz that's made out of china 
you know, it's like and there's this little China girl there who is it's she's just fantastic. She's a great little character. The the animation and everything around her is great. Um, there's a flying monkey who's voiced by Zach Braff, who kind of helps Oz out, and he's great. And honestly, the climax of this film is nearly perfect because. It, Oz is like this kind of magician in Kansas, and at the end of the film, he uses his magic to overcome the witch, and also it makes it look like he died, and he's able basically to make all of Oz think that that he didn't necessarily die, but he became this greater being of smoke, and so by the end of the film, everybody thinks he's this giant floating head in smoke, and he out and he outcrafts the witch, and it's perfect for the lead-in into the movie Wizard of Oz. Um, so I mean, so, so, so like that's kind of this mixed bag you're dealing with with Oz the Great and Powerful, is like you have these really great moments, and then you have these other moments where you're just kind of like, wait, wait, what now? This, okay, you know, so it's there's some there's some real great there's some great moments, and there's also some really weak moments, and so overall, it's not a bad film. It's one that you know it. it it's a decent way to spend uh, an evening with the family. There are some definitely some, I would say, some scary images and some scary sequences. Um, because, again, this is Sam Raimi who directed, you know, Drag Me to Hell and the Evil Dead movies. And you can tell that he still kind of likes to dabble in some of that. So um, do go into it expecting that if you have some little ones and you're like, oh, hey, we all like Wizard of Oz. So, but yeah. Yeah, I'm, this is like, what, PG-13? It's only PG. PG? Okay. And so, I mean, it it is only PG, so, I mean, it isn't really over the top. But, like, the flying monkeys are legitimately scary in this Mm -hmm. because they're more like baboons. I mean, they're they're really... They they really are scary. And then when the witch turns, it's one part goofy, one part scary. Um, And then later on in the film, there is another kind of creepy moment that are legitimately creepy that could fit in a PG-13 or even an R-rated movie. Um, But it's played at a PG level in this, but still, if you have little ones, be warned. Yeah. I was going to say, cause the wizard of Oz is like the G of G's basically <laughs> when oh, it comes to movies. So oh, that's the other thing I wanted to comment on. It was really funny to me to watch this because clearly half the film, not half two thirds or more of the film is shot on a green screen. And hmm. you can kind of tell, I mean, you can tell, especially if you're looking for it, but it really it was really interesting to me to see that to be able to kind of notice like oh clearly they shot this this way and having compared having just watched Wizard of Oz and re- noticing how Wizard of Oz is always on such a limited soundstage um, to kind of see the same basic elements in this movie but in a the movie looks deeper than Wizard of Oz does but it never quite looks real either interesting huh. yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it still. I mean, it's not... I've heard enough people just kind of go, eh, about it, that I'm... Yeah. It's not, like, at the top of my list, but I would like to see it still. Yeah, and, it didn't uh, blow our socks. We did We did see it in 3D kind of on accident. We showed up, and that was the, the one showing that was about to happen. Um, you don't have to see it in 3D. It's just long enough that it even affected... My eyes were kind of watering and getting a little bit tired by the end of it. Um yeah, I don't know. Overall, I, I even feel like the movie may, may be a little overly long. I feel like because it starts off in black and white at the beginning, and you're like, "Get on with it," <laughs> you know. It's like this is this isn't really why we're here, and I don't know. It has its weaknesses, but it's not it's not um, terrible. <laughs> nice. Um, all right. Well, uh, I guess that's kind of what we have seen here recently. 
Um, you, you have anything oh, else you want to touch on? Well, actually, I, I will touch on... I will kind of cover two things here. Um, so this last week, uh, my wife and I went to Dallas um, on a trip. And uh, Dallas, Texas. Dallas, according to my wife, the home of NASA. Well, there you go. <laughs> we were talking about it. She's like, oh, Dallas, NASA's there. I was like, oh, yes, Dallas, we have a problem. <laughs> And she goes, that's not the line. I go, I know. Because it's in Houston. Houston. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, anyhow, so we went to we went to Dallas. And uh, while we were there, a friend took us to go see Burt Wonderstone. Um, which, uh, the movie was uh, okay at best, kind of meh at at worst it's 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 kind of a non-event it's it's um if you really are into kind of magic and magicians and mm. you know las vegas shows and that kind of thing it's fine it's it's got some some humor in it but nothing groundbreaking nothing that you haven't seen before the best stuff is probably jim carrey kind of spoofing like the david blaines of the world and mm-hmm. uh, chris angel and, and like those guys mm-hmm. that's that's pretty funny um at times and and disturbing at others um (laughs) but we went and saw this movie um at at the most magical place on earth that i have ever been (laughs) um it's uh, i'm trying to remember the the exact name of it here but it was the studio oh the studio grill something like that um and all of the dallas people are like shouting at me right now like of course it's this thing and i can't remember it hey dallas people stop shouting at him and go back to the alamo that's also also yes uh studio movie and grill no is that right anyhow whatever it was called um it's fantastic uh basically it's this wonderful place that has brilliant projection uh really very well kept like it's almost like going out to like um like a club or something at first because like you, you walk in it's just like this beautiful like wonderful reception area they have like a full bar in it if you're into that kind of thing um then you go out to your theater after you've got your ticket and every seat is like a comfortable armchair they're grouped into kind of like little groupings of seats and they all have little tray tables that pop up and at any point during the movie you can press a little button and a waiter comes up to you and brings you food that you have ordered um or refills on drinks or that kind of thing um it was immaculate the food was delicious the service was prompt um i wouldn't want to go and see every movie like eating dinner at the same time and it kind of it encourages like talking and stuff in the theater Mm -hmm. um and you have waiters kind of walking in front of you occasionally which is kind of weird in a theater it's a really different movie going experience but something like burt wonderstone is the perfect movie to go see in this environment Mm-hmm. Um, something where you don't have to pay like a hundred percent attention to the screen. Like I wouldn't go see the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings or something that way, but like Burt Wonderstone or something fantastic. It's, it's one of the most wonderful movie going experiences I have had in ages. It was a theater that cared even about a movie that they probably shouldn't have cared all that much about, but they, they gave such an amazing amount of service and pride in what they were doing. It was, it was brilliant. Um, and cool. so, yeah, um, 
yeah, it's it's uh, take it as a challenge, uh, theaters of America. Uh, bring up your level of of game. You need to do better. Yeah, you know, I mean, honestly, I mean, to me, like you said, I would want to see every movie that way. But to me, that kind of thing excites me more than 3D, you guys. Yeah, you know, it's like if that to me that is the a better response to, you know, what people aren't showing up to movies as much as they used to. They're complaining about the movie prices. Do something like this, and I will be willing to pay more money. You know, even if or if the ticket stays the same price, but I'm spending more money on food and drinks while I'm watching the theater. I mean, watching the movie at the theater. Absolutely, I, mean, I feel like that's a great way. Um, I know there's a theater here in Chattanooga that kind of has a a VIP lounge, which is. It, it's essentially kind of that sort of situation. So they have like a, a room in the theater that uh, is a full th- size theater screen, and they have fewer films in that throughout the day. But anytime you go there, you know you can you can have a meal while you watch the watch the movie. I think that's great. I would love to see more creative responses, mm-hmm. more creative solutions to this quote unquote problem of movie attendance. Yeah, it was it was genius because uh, here's here's the two things that did it. I mean the tickets were maybe a little bit more. I think like the tickets were ten bucks or ten fifty or something. That's not versus bad. versus eight fifty. Yeah. Um so but less two dollars more than a mo- normal movie but less than a three D movie. Yeah. Two dollars for a better experience, I'm I'm on board. Absolutely. The food was reasonably priced. Um, like I think I had like I ordered like a pizza, which it wasn't just like a pizza. It was like a like a you know uh, a pizza with feta and mm-hmm. stuff on it, like you know deliciousness. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, uh, like I think I ate a full dinner with a drink with free refills during the movie for like under twenty five dollars for my ticket and the meal. Mm-hmm. And like that's amazing. That's that's brilliant. And it is. I like it. Uh, well done, Texas. <laughs> you can stay in the that. union. <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> oh. um, <laughs> I think the I think the last really good theater experience Kelly and I had um was it was a really fulfilling evening. We we went out to eat. Um we didn't get to eat in the theater like that necessarily, but we went out to eat and then we went and we saw uh the Silver Linings playbook. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a movie that we'd been wanting to see for quite some time. Uh, we both really like Jennifer Lawrence. Um, I'm okay with Bradley Cooper. He's really kind of warming on me, especially after this movie. He's somebody I'm like, okay, I want to see more of you now. I really liked him in Alias. Um, wasn't the biggest fan of Limitless and um, the A-Team and other Bradley Cooper vehicles. Really, I um, quite liked Limitless, but that's... Yeah, and yeah, I, I can... I can I, yeah. And again, just, I like the A-Team as well, so... yeah. <laughs> so anyway moving on <laughs> i have so many thoughts running through my head i just gonna ignore them all um <laughs> silver linings playbook uh we what really kind of pushed us over the edge was you know jennifer lawrence won the academy award for best supporting actress for this role and it was one of the last weekends so it was probably going to be in the theaters here in the area so we went and saw it and we both really really liked it um that being said, I don't know how many more times I would need to need to see the movie because it is kind of a stressful movie. Um, it's a movie that basically the message of this movie is everybody's crazy. It's just about how you deal with it. <laughs> uh, it's a movie that really kind of rang true uh, to us as far as some of the family dynamics. Our family isn't nearly this crazy, um, but at the same time, it's like yeah, this is this is real life. This I mean, it, it feels. It feels real while still being very entertaining and being structured in a similar way. I would kind of compare it to um, Little Miss Sunshine, where like the whole movie is like 
about family, about family, about family, about a dance competition. <laughs> <laughs> and it's 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 really great. By the end of it, you're rooting for everybody, and it ends in a satisfactory way, and in a way that's kind of um, makes you feel good. And it it kind of it's a kind of a challenging movie. It's funny at times. Um, it's very dramatic. You get you can get, become very emotionally invested at the same time, since the the two main characters are actually dealing with some fairly real. Um, mental situations it'll also make you really uncomfortable because you, you start rooting for the people and then you see them making the decisions and you realize they really can't help it and you just go oh no don't do that don't do that you're going to ruin everything don't you know and it, you you get invested and so um i I, mean, I absolutely see why she won the academy award for her performance i think she did a really good job did i say supporting i think it was actually actress wasn't it Ah, they're already over. It's ancient history. Move uh, on. Her and Anne Hathaway. <laughs> it, it must have been she actually won uh, Best Actress for this role. Yeah, she must have, because Anne Hathaway won Supporting, right? Yeah. 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 So, she deserved it. I mean, honestly, and I think, I don't know if Bradley Cooper was nominated. I would have been totally cool with him being nominated and have, having won for this role as well. The other big bonus to this was um, seeing Robert De Niro really bring it. And I think it was maybe his best performance Um in a long in a, in a long time like I, I have not seen this yet and i like we've meant to go see it so many times and like stuff has just happened every time we we plan to go see it yeah and like all you have said is what people have said to me about it yeah the one thing that keeps making me really want to see this movie is that i know robert de niro is going to be really good in it and it's exciting to think that there's a good Robert De Niro movie, yeah, like where he's a serious actor doing yeah. really good it, stuff again. It kind of reminded me. There's another movie that he did not that long ago. I think it's called uh, Like Flynn, or Life with Flynn. It's really good. Uh, it's it's based on the book uh, Another Night, Another Sucky Night in Bullshit City, or Another Bullshit Night in Suck City. It's based on that book. Um, I think it's called Like Flynn, and he's great in that too. And it's it's really. It's really encouraging to see movies because I, I love Robert De Niro and I want to like him more. But sometimes he, in the recent past, he seems to be making these kind of really light comedies that just don't do anything for me. And he really kind of brings it in this, and it's it's really cool and really great to see um, him and uh, and to see him and to see because he's such a legend and to see him there and then to see Bradley Cooper hold his own against him and see Jennifer Lawrence hold her own against him in these scenes. And to see him doing such a great job, and then you realize how much that says about his supporting cast, that he's not overshadowing them, is just like, it's almost, and there's, there are scenes that are just kind of electrifying, where you go, wow, this is really cool to see. And also, Chris Tucker's in it, who I really liked seeing again, because he was in the Rush Hour movies, and then kind of disappeared. And he's really good in this, in a really, in a funny, but very dramatic role. And uh, I really can't recommend it enough. It's a good movie. Nice. Well, speaking of good movies, uh, let's talk about our movie here of the week. Uh, Tootsie, number 69 on AFI's Top 100, uh, released in 1982, Mm -hmm. starring Dustin Hoffman and Jessica Lange. Yep. um, Directed by Sidney Pollack. He's also in the movie. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> I tried Scott. to mute it so that no one would notice. And then it got noticed. <laughs> My adorable little puppy thought he should be on the podcast too. He should not. He's a dog with no opinions. He's mad at me now. And clearly he has opinions. Tootsie though. 
would see. What a film! <laughs> All right, so I, I, this is a movie that I've seen several times, kind of over the course of my life at this point. Yeah, and I'm jealous of you, because this is my first time seeing it. That's what I was going to say. This is your first time seeing it. So why don't you start us off on kind of your thoughts about it? Because sure. I, I, I have history, you have immediate... No, yeah, like literally it was our la- the, last night, uh, Kelly and I sat down to watch it, and it was our, the first time either of us had seen it. And it's one of those movies that I've always known about. I mean, you can't not know about Dustin Hoffman and not know about Tootsie. You can't have really kind of grown up in the 80s and 90s and not have seen that cover of him in the red dress up against the American flag. It's just, it's kind of this iconic image. Exactly. Um, that being said, I knew nothing about the movie. I didn't know, did not know what it was about. Um, I just sat down and put it in last night. And essentially, it is about a, um, this actor uh, Michael Dorsey is his name, and he's kind of a jerk. You know, he's kind of a a pretentious actor who thinks he knows more than the producers, knows more than the directors, knows more than his agent. And he has, while everybody kind of agrees he's a good actor, um, nobody wants to work with him. They're tired of him. They he's just he's burned a few too many bridges. And so at the beginning of this film, a series of events basically lead him to. Um, deciding that he's going to try out for this role of this woman. He's going to create a new persona. No one's going to hi- hire Michael Dorsey, but maybe they'll hire uh, Dorothy... Dorothy Michaels? Dorothy Emily? Dorothy... Yeah. It's two girls' names put together. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah Dorothy Michaels. You're right. Sorry. Yeah. It wasn't... Because uh, it's kind of a play on Michael Dorsey, Dorothy Michaels. Exactly. Yes. That's right. Yes. That's right. And so he goes in and he auditions for this role on the soap opera and he lands the part. And so then the movie kind of, un- the story goes from there where he is trying to balance his life between this woman that he's he has to play. Not only is he playing a, a woman on set, but he also has to then play a woman off set because everybody thinks they've hired a woman. Um, and so he has to kind of create this new life for Dorothy and then as well as balance this life as uh, Michael uh, and all the, all the reasons that he's doing this. And so he's kind of going back and forth between these two worlds. And, um, of course, he falls in love with a co- co-star on the soap opera who's a woman. And, but she thinks she's just hanging out with this other woman when they're on and off, st- off set. And the whole movie actually ends up being this really interesting um, examination of gender roles. I guess, you know, really kind of in the 80s. I think it may be a little bit different of a film today. That being said... It ages perfectly. It's like I almost feel like the only thing that would be different is the style of filmmaking if it was made today. I think, yeah. you know, it may have been, if it was made today, I don't think the comedy would have been quite as dry as it was in the 80s. Um, but I mean, honestly, the. It, the things it has to say about the uh, about uh, the, the roles of men and women and the roles that society kind of puts on men and women. Um, it really honestly hasn't changed. It's you no. Know, it kind of led to a really interesting conversation between Kelly and I last night, where it's like women and men are still dealing with all the same things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with you. I mean, it's to me, it's it's a movie that I think is really. It's a movie that could have been really a one-note kind of pony. It mm-hmm. could have just been kind of like, "Oh, look, it's Dustin Hoffman in drag." Like that could have that could have been the movie. Yeah, which would have been funny for like five or ten minutes, and then yeah. you're kind of like, "Okay," but then what? So, it, like to me, it's a really smart movie that takes this thing that could be this really one-note thing, and it really fleshes out his character 
characters, I guess, multiple characters um, in it into a really believable, really applicable kind of story. It's it's something much greater than the sum of its jokes. I mean, it does have well, it does have some jokes in it, but all of the jokes serve to like further the story right. versus being one-liners basically right. the jokes the that's what's so interesting about the movie is that there aren't it isn't the kind of movie where you're going to be laughing at one-liners you the jokes are the context the jokes mm-hmm. are the situation and so it's not that anything specifically funny happened in that scene and you're not gonna be like oh and that time he did that you know it's like you're not gonna necessarily be talking it that way but the whole movie is funny Mm-hmm. But and it, there are scenes that are laugh out loud funny oh, yeah. scenes. I laughed out too. loud several times. <laughs> there was some, <laughs> and it, but it's like, but to actually tell you the scene that made me laugh out loud, you probably wouldn't get it without having seen the movie. Because mm-hmm. one of the parts that made me laugh out loud <laughs> the loudest was there's a scene where he's playing like this uh, hospital superintendent type person, and he's talking to somebody to a woman who's in bed, and he just starts ad libbing this line, this whole thing about what she needs to do to help herself, and the patient is trying to ke- trying to keep up and then when the director cuts in and she was like yeah and she said this he's like shut up <laughs> he just like he just snapped at her, like shut up i don't know what i'm doing and it just it made me laugh out loud it's just it's so like he was so abrupt in that scene but it's like you really have to see it because it's actually really funny in context same w- with the some of the early scenes where he starts ad-libbing with the male doctor who is supposed to be amorous towards her you know it's like it's really funny but kind of just to describe it it may not sound super funny, yeah. but it's a thoroughly funny film. Yeah. It's, you know, I think it's also a really interesting, um, aside from some of the gender stuff in it, which I say some of, it's it's all about the gender stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's also a really interesting movie for anybody who is interested in acting or showbiz, kind of. Yeah. Because it really does, I, I think it's also a movie that really shows kind of the disconnect of what it means to be trained as an actor and the practicalities of being an actor. Yeah, we were um, talking about this when we watched the movie uh, Sleepwalk with Me, mm-hmm. which you know was a movie that we really kind of were excited about how it showed how it really takes a lot of hard work to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, I mean, especially the opening thirty minutes of this film is just about how crappy it is to be an actor. Sometimes, you know, like he shows up, and the opening credit sequence is him auditioning and auditioning and auditioning, and people rejecting him because oh, you're too tall. Oh wait, I can be taller. No, I mean you're you're not tall enough. Oh, I can be shorter. We just want someone else. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. like sometimes they don't want you just because of you. And sometimes they don't want you because of your talent. But other times, you know, it's like, it's just seeing that. And that's one of the parts of it that mm-hmm. I really enjoyed. Very That was very unexpected to me was the, uh, the world of the artist that mm-hmm. kind of exists around him. He, uh, Bill Murray plays his uh, roommate. And I, I loved their scenes together. I mean, it's just, it's two artists sitting around talking, trying to write a play and trying to make the play happen. And the scenes that happen around them were so very accurate. <laughs> yeah. It's, I think that's the thing is because you, you said like his character is kind of a jerk and, and he is because he, he has to be to have that kind of growth process through the yeah. movie, but you can also see where it comes from in this movie and you can see his passion for his, you know, like, like you get the jerk side of things, but then you also get the part where he's passionately leading these workshops right? and where he's like, when he's, in character and he ends up standing up for people and even going against script to stand up for people or like like he's a jerk only in 
some ways. In other ways, right. he's a very well to to really to make it in this kind of. I mean, and I say this not. I'm sure this applies to every walk of life, but to make it as an actor there has to be a certain amount of ego you have to walk onto that stage or you have to walk into that audition believing you're the best person for the role Mm -hmm. it takes a certain amount of ego to make that happen you really have to believe in yourself and go no i'm talented i can do this what part do you have i can play that part it that, that takes a certain amount of confidence his problem is kind of checking that at a certain point yeah and kind of relinquishing it to the director relinquishing some of that control you know, he's maybe a little bit too controlling is maybe a better way to even describe mm-hmm. it. Because, yeah, there's a certain part of it you completely understand. And there's other times you go, yeah, Michael, there's a, there's a reason that nobody wants to work with you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, did, did you and Kelly, because I know we've mentioned this probably before, but Kelly is a huge fan of the cross-dressing, cross-dressing genre of film. Yeah, no, yeah, she's a big fan of that that form of comedy. She loves seeing a man like having to put on high heels. She just thinks that's really funny, <laughs> you know? Um, and so she was excited just for that when we kind of got into it. And she's like, I think I know who Dustin Hoffman is. Who's Dustin Hoffman? I'm like, all the president's men, the graduate. You know Dustin Hoffman. Um, but what... What was interesting to me that because we were watching it and I kind of went, do you, which one do you think would be what, what? What do you think would be harder? Would it be harder for a woman to play a man or a man to play a woman? You know, because I do think that's interesting, and I'm not sure. I guess there are a couple films out there where men have legitimately played women, but most of the time it's done for comedy's sake. But it made me really wonder if could this really happen in real life? Could a person of the opposite sex convincingly pull off the uh, the the opposite sex? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I'm not entirely sure because even like the movie that I can think of, there's a the movie about Bob Dylan where uh, Kate Blanchett played Bob Dylan for a, for a period of the film. Um, you know, you still know it's Kate Blanchett. I mean, it's like it's really. Um, I've seen the film, and she may be the best best uh, my favorite part of the, the the whole film, but it's definitely a woman playing a man. It's like you don't ever not think that it's a a woman. Yeah. And so, I don't know, it led to some really interesting kind of conversations, and we kind of... So, it, it started off as a bit of comedy, and we kind of, you know, you go into it, and it, maybe that's even kind of the genius of this film, is that it kind of gets you with that hook of, like, it's a dude pretending to be a chick, and eh, it's going to be funny. Um, but then you get into it, and it's really a movie that is asking you to, you know, walk a mile in someone else's shoes. You know, literally and figuratively. You know, consider the other side, um, because that's really the structure of the whole movie, and it's really fascinating. Because Kelly asked me, she goes, "Well, what do you think about um, how many of the men in this are really kind of one-note characters and are even kind of broad stereotypes, where they're all kind of jerks to women, you know, and they're kind of full of machismo and all of this." And it's like, well, it didn't bother me in this because that was the point of this movie. You kind of needed to surround michael with those characters so that once he becomes the woman he could see that and he could see from from a different angle some of the same words are thrown back at him that he's thrown at other women and it kind of haunts him and he goes like oh that sucks (laughs) you know he's like and it it changes him and that it's kind of his hero's journey um he's got that great line at the end of the film you know i was a i was a better man as a woman with you than i ever was as a man with certain women or I just butchered the line, but it's it's really this fascinating thing that kind of it hooks you as a comedy, but then pulls you in for actually a pretty decent message. Yeah, 
I, I think that is an excellent summation of the movie. Um, <laughs> I, like, I, to me, it's 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 one of my favorite comedies. Um, I've always just really enjoyed it. It's a movie I can go back to and and enjoy because it's it has enough comedy. I I cannot. Um, uh, Terry Gar and Bill Murray in this yeah. movie bring so much, so many like great side pieces to this thing. Mm-hmm. They're just little layers on top of everything, and I love Sidney Pollock's part in it. Yeah, because he's and the Dab- director. <laughs> yeah, and Dabney Cole. Like, I mean, there's so many great character actors and so many just pieces of this movie. And I mean, and Dustin Hoffman and Jessica Lange are fantastic yeah. as well in this. And Gina Davis's first film. And Gina, Gina Davis is in it. So I mean, like it's. It's a movie that has a lot to offer comedy-wise, but it. I also really like that it speaks to a larger thing, mm-hmm. um, and um, yeah, it's it, to me this is just this is this is one of my favorite comedies because it's it's smart. It this, to me this is like the true definition of a smart comedy, mm-hmm. um, and it's 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 great. Yeah, the people who worked on it, I, th- I believe there was like two or three writers who. Um who worked on it together and they clearly understand the topic, mm-hmm. which because I felt like it was handled in a very believable way. Like even the people, even like when the dad finds out at the end, the way they deal with it in the bar, I felt was very realistic while still being funny and entertaining. It, it all comes from a real place. Like yeah. he kind of reminded me of my dad, like the dad did, especially in that last scene. Um, I kind of went, yeah, I feel like that's how someone from that generation would react you know this is just it's neat i yeah yeah um so i guess my verdict is i i really like the movie um uh, yeah me too you know it's i would say go, if you haven't seen this man rectify that go yeah. see it it's a pg movie maybe it should have been pg-13 or r <laughs> there's <laughs> not due to any real content issues but due to some language there's like a <laughs> I would. Did he just say that? <laughs> he says "f you" to a woman three times in a row in one scene. I mean, it's it's all done for comedy. He's doing it to, he's show he's showing up to try to help her be angry as an actress. But it just surprised me because the movie's only rated PG, and I went, I just heard the f word three times in a row. <laughs> did that just happen? And so it's one of those 1980s films where it, you know, if it come out two years later, it would have been a PG thirteen. Um, I'm just warning people because I know sometimes yeah. you see that PG and you go, oh, family film. Eh, not quite. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it definitely has a lot of situational kinds of things in it. And, you yeah. know, it's, 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 I, I would say it's very much aimed at adults, it, it, um, it's, it's, but not, but not in a salacious kind of way. It's entirely intended as a, it's a, it's a very tastefully done film, but it's one that's made for adults. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, so, and Lauren, if, uh, what are some other movies like this? Some alternatives, some other suggestions, Sure. Yeah. Um, you know the two I'm going to say because um, I th- I, you, I know you had put some stuff down here as well yeah. that you want to talk about. Um, the two I'm going to put on here, uh, Kramer versus Kramer, is just kind of a similarly um, similar time period mm-hmm. movie that also has Dustin Hoffman in it. If you kind of like Dustin Hoffman's work, I think Kramer versus Kramer is kind of an excellent companion piece. Yeah. Which has nothing to do with this movie other than just being also a Dustin Hoffman movie. Right. Um, you know, um, I would also say you could go back to Some Like It Hot, um, which is kind of the quintessential um, drag kind of movie. Right. Tony Curtis drag and Jack Lemmon. Yeah. Um, and Marilyn Monroe. It's, it's 
it's a pretty funny movie. It's I'd say they handle the comedy much more broadly than this. Oh than, yeah, than Tootsie I, does purposefully. It's oh, still it's yeah. it's very funny though. It's you know, some like um, it hot is a died in the wool comedy. I mean, it yeah. is a comedy for comedy's sake. Every scene is structured to be funny, and it is a hysterical film. Yeah, you know, it's some people call it like one of the greatest comedies of all time. So, I couldn't uh, argue with that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, those would be where I would say kind of a couple directions you can mm-hmm. go. What have you got? Um, honestly, I, I was thinking along the same lines as you because this movie to me, I love it when you watch a movie and it's like. This and you just start thinking of all the different groups that this would appeal to, and I feel like this is one of those movies that has a very broad appeal. Um, for those of you who like the artists and the artist struggle, we've already mentioned it. I think we mentioned it in the past podcast. Sleepwalk with me to me, like those scenes of him with the, his fellow artists, really yeah. reminded me in tone and in content with a lot of what Sleepwalk with Me has. And if you haven't seen Sleepwalk with Me, check it out. Um, if you like the cross-dressing drag comedy, uh, this movie also made me think a lot of Mrs. Doubtfire. And when I saw him dressing as um, Dorothy, there was a couple scenes that I immediately kind of went, I bet this is going to be the gag here in this scene. I go, no, that's actually a gag from Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> you know, it's like I wasn't coming up with anything new, but there's some very, um, some very strong parallels between the two of these. Again, Mrs. Doubtfire has Robin Williams in it and is definitely played for comedy. Um, a lot I, more for comedy, I would say, than uh, Tootsie is. Yeah. Um, and the other movie, um, the, well, the other cool thing about Mrs. Doubtfire is that it actually has a really serious heart behind the whole thing. Um, the whole movie revolves around a, a divorce, and you know, it's it's rooted in that reality. In that this family doesn't get back together in the end, and that's not the point of this movie. It's not the parent trap. The point isn't to get the parents back together. It's just about a man who, just like uh, Dorsey, wants something that he can't have, and so he has to create a new persona to get what he wants. And it's it's kind of a cool movie. Yeah, yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire. Just to to roll with that for a second. I mean. Uh, I think it owes a lot to Tootsie. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of the spiritual successor of it, kind of, if you yeah. were to really kind of go down that. It is it is a very different film from Tootsie, but at the same time, like, you can see these parallels between the stories, between the characters, um, kind of some of the reasons and things. It's um, very much a an excellent jumping mm-hmm. point from Tootsie, I would say. I, you could almost imagine somebody in the studio going, we need to make another Tootsie. Find, yeah. you know... Make, find me a Tootsie script, and they <laughs> find Mrs. D- they create Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, the other group of people that I thought this would really appeal to are again. Uh, you mentioned uh, if you're looking for another Dustin Hoffman film, um, I cannot recommend The Graduate enough. It's one of my favorite films. Um, definitely, probably in my top twenty. Um, if you've seen movies like Garden State, you should go back and see The Graduate and see where Zach Braff was inspired and what he pulled a lot of his stuff from. And The Graduate is one of those movies that was definitely made for its time and speaks very specifically to a very specific generation. But we're so far removed from it now, we've actually come back around to a lot of those same themes and ideas, I think, with some of the current generation, maybe my generation. Um, the Graduate with Dustin Hoffman is a great, yeah. great movie. Yep, completely agree. Excellent. And that brings us to an end of this particular podcast. Um, again, if you don't follow us on Twitter, follow us on Twitter at Movies You Should. Uh, join in the conversation. Really cool. Come, one of our next uh, episodes is actually going to be a direct response to somebody's uh, email to us. They found us at MoviesYouShouldLove.com. Um, the or they found us on Facebook. I can't remember which one, but they sent us a, a letter, asked us a question, and that's going to be one of our next episodes is addressing that question. Um, so stay tuned for that. 
Um, in the mean, and then sometime after that, we'll be looking at some more of AFI's Top 100. Not sure which film is next, so it'll be a bit of a surprise. Indeed. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. 